It's also good again to share fellowship with the Tom's family and to, to see each other again in the face and to share the great truths of the Word of God. Maybe just a little message that Martin hinted at in his prayer um, about the current situation. Um, because we are here today and this evening to consider what, where are we in God's calendar. And we might think, well, this is a great event that's happening in um, Eastern Europe. But let me say right at the front that what is happening from the Kremlin attacking uh, Ukraine is not the work of the Antichrist. It's the work of an Antichrist, but not the Antichrist. And I believe, like many of my brothers in the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, that Russia is not even mentioned in the Scriptures. Uh, not even Ezekiel's chapters 38 and 39. They are not there. But one thing that I have seen visually, and I've spoken to my wife about this, that what we have seen on our televisions, the bombing of innocent people, apartment blocks, hospitals, children's schools, mass graves, and we had one just today, another one being found by an American satellite, hundreds of people in Maripol. This should be a visual witness and testimony of what the Antichrist will do in the near future towards Christendom, towards Israel, and towards the Roman world, the oikumene in which we live. It's a visual thing. And just as the Lord has sent to us this um, uh, pandemic to warn people, I think we have here another warning for us to see what is happening, to awaken hearts, minds, and consciences to what is happening in the world and to what will happen even more in the future. Now that aside, my task this afternoon is what are God's plans for Israel? And I want to show you this from the scriptures, what the Lord has for national Israel. I've become more and more, the longer I live, convinced of the absolute sufficiency of Scripture for all of our needs, not just some of our needs, not just the religious needs, but for all of our needs. The Scriptures give us the answer to everything that we should believe, how we should live, how to please and glorify God as individuals, as families, as churches. And especially is this true of the prophetic scriptures. Now, this afternoon, I'm going to be stressing, and also again this evening, this little formula. I'm going to repeat it again and again. Because I believe it's a way of understanding prophecy 
clearer and better. I believe it's a way of interpretation, if you want to use that word, or allowing the scriptures to speak to us. But I think at the end of the day, it's the right way to rightly divide the word of God. Now, what am I speaking about? I'm speaking about beginnings and endings and a duration in between. A definite beginning, an unspecified duration in between, and a definite ending. Now, what do I mean by this? Does the Bible have anything to speak to us about the future of Christendom? Well, it does. Here's my first illustration. It's found in the parables of Matthew 13. Especially the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares. We have in those parables a definite beginning. Now that's important. And the definite beginning is our Lord came and he began to sow the seed. Now that is a very definite, specific point in scripture and in history for our understanding. Now we have in between an undisclosed durational period. But then we have a very definite ending. And that ending is the harvest at the end of the age. When the Lord sends out his angels to gather out Firstly, the tears. Because in that durational period, not only is the good seed being sown, the tears are also being sown by the wicked one. So do we see where we're going here? We've got a definite beginning, an undisclosed durational period as to time, and indeed, as to details, but there are some general details, and they shall be mentioned um, probably later this evening. Let me give you a second illustration. Is there any line of truth that we can look at concerning what is going to happen to the nations, and especially to the prophetic earth? Well, there is. Daniel chapter 2. There you have a very definite, specific beginning time. Nebuchadnezzar began the time of the, time of the Gentiles. An undisclosed durational period and a very definite ending period, which is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is the stone to destroy all the previous kingdoms. Now, I've said all that to say this, that if we can find in Scripture, in our studies, especially in the prophetic Scriptures, a beginning and an ending definite, then those things which are in between are a duration of that start and that finish. We can't take a little bit out here and put it somewhere else. We can't take the definite ending and put it 
at the beginning. We can't take the definite beginning and put it at the end. We cannot mix and mix. There is a definite guidance here by the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe the same is also true concerning Israel. I believe there are passages in the scripture. Now, our brother Martin read it earlier. Uh, Leviticus chapter 26. And also for your further study, Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 31. These form a group. And in this, we find the same spiritual formula. We find a definite beginning, Israel about to go into the land of promise. So that's a very definite beginning. Moses is speaking, sorry, the Lord is speaking to Moses, and Moses has this message to give to the people, and this message is that there is a definite beginning. There is also a duration. And in this time, we have a little more detail than we had in the other two, because we find that the end of that dur durational period, Israel will be unfaithful. And then, I'm sure you rejoiced as we read those latter verses of chapter uh, 26. The Lord's blessings for Israel at the end of the age. Now, do we not see this? A definite beginning, a duration, and a definite ending. Now, our brothers and sisters who, um, who are historists um, would, would, would uh, um, uh, challenge us at this point, but we, we have to say we, we see a definite starting point, a duration, and a definite end. Well, we're going to build on that. Three things we're going to look at today, Israel in the present age, Israel at the end of this present age, and Israel in the millennium. Now, let me give you those three things briefly stated, because I'm going to mention these things, but some I will deal with in detail, others only mention. In this age, well, this age in which we're living, this afternoon and from the time that Israel as a country was taken away from them, Israel as a nation are cut off, whether in the land or outside of the land, those people are cut off from the Lord as a nation. As for individuals, individuals will be saved according to God's election. There will also be a restoration to the land, fulfilled in 1948. And uh, I have done a, a, a great study on uh, Jeremiah 30, which clearly predicts and proves that. So that's Israel in this age. Um, Israel at the end of this age, well, the scriptures give a lot of detail concerning the last seven years before the end of this age, before our Lord's second advent, that Israel will receive Antichrist and make a covenant with him. 
that one mentioned in John 5 and 43, they will receive him, the Antichrist. The rebuilding of the temple and the sacrificial system will be begun. We'll see more of that this evening. The covenant broken halfway through this seven-year period when there will be an abomination that again will be dealt with this evening. Israel's national conversion or the remnant that are alive at his second advent and the mourning for sin that we find in uh, Zechariah chapter 13. That's at the end of the age. What about the millennium? At the beginning of the millennium and continuing throughout the millennium the land will be restored. Geophysically, nature, animals, longevity, all these things will be changed. There will be a restored place of worship. There will be early attacks upon Israel. That's where that Ezekiel's chapters 38 and 39 come in, but not Russia. Israel brought back to the land in four stages. They, some will come back as they have already come back through the Zionist movement to Israel. Some will come back by themselves after the Lord's second advent. Some will be brought back by the Lord and some will be brought back by other nations who will seek to help Israel. Israel then will become a nation of priests. That wonderful. There will be a nation of priests who, who will be sent out into the world to be the greatest evangelist ever that has been. And I am a great lover of George Whitfield, great lover of him and his great works and the, the time in the when he reached the colonies and over uh, 13 visits to the place spoke to four-fifths of the New England colonies that the inhabitants, a wonderful thing. But here is a time when a nation who now are redeemed, who love the Lord, and who love their fellow Gentiles will want to go out there and share that gospel. And because Satan will be bound, there will be a glorious success. There will be a great ingathering of the church. That, which historists are saying is happening now, well, I would say to them, show me one nation, one nation in the world that you could call a Christian nation. Make it easy for them. One, one nation. There's not one. Not one anywhere. So, Jerusalem will then be the centre of earth and government, evangelism, and there will be pilgrimage to the land. A glorious time. A new millennial temple will be erected. I will mention more of that tonight. The Lord spares us. The extension of the land. Israel will then receive the full extent of the land promised to Abraham. And then there will be the, the, the final assault at the end. But, right, so we'll move on. What are God's future?
future plans for Israel? Well, in this present age. Before we can consider the question, we have to ask, what is the present state of Israel? Well, the present state as a nation. Well, we have to say they have been cast off. Matthew chapter 23, verse 38 says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Israel at this time are a deprived nation, a nation full of waste and barrenness. They've been abandoned without comfort, really in a forlorn condition. But this casting off is not a casting away. That's where some people make the mistake. This casting off is not a casting away. This casting off is only temporal. As the following verse tells us in Matthew 23:39, where it says, For I say unto you, and why can't people see this? For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And who was the Lord speaking to? But the nation of Israel, as a group, not as individuals, but as a group. And this is confirmed by the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 verse 1. He asks the question, <clears throat> hypothetically, has God cast away his people? He answers his own question. God forbid. God has not cast away his people. Only cast off, not cast away. Now this casting off has lasted from the year 70 AD to 1948. And my counting tells me that was 1878 years. This casting off of the nation still continues and will continue until the Lord's second advent. So at the moment, as a nation, they remain slumbering, self-righteous, veil over the heart and over the eyes. But what about individuals? There are within the nation, whether in the land of Israel now or whether scattered abroad, what Paul says in Romans 9.23, vessels of mercy. For God said through his servant Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Romans 9, verses 15 and 18. So God's work of salvation in Christ is to both Jews and Gentiles in this age. <coughs> Paul also continues by saying and quoting the prophet Isaiah though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea a remnant shall be saved indeed this was Paul's answer and should be ours brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved how many times does it tell us in our scriptures when we read on different aspects to the Jew first then to the Gentile and when we in our prayer meetings 
when we are praying for missions, we're constantly remembering Gentile missions. Where are the people that are praying for the work of Jewish missions? Jewish preaching, Jewish teaching. People that will go out, and not like some mission societies, or we just want to be a friend of the Jew. We just want to make friends with him. And no, we want to, the Jew to come to faith in Christ, to see his sin, to forsake his sin, to confess it, and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There should be much praying for the peace of Jerusalem and praying for individuals to be saved out of that. And just to confirm this to the church, which is at the present time predominantly Gentile, but this, in this age, this is not a Gentile church. We are not a Gentile church. We are a church of Gentiles and Jews. Even as Paul tells us, reminds us in chapter 11 verse 5, even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So, for the individual in this age, sometimes as individuals, sometimes as families, sometimes as communities. I was just reading um, just this past week about the, the um, mission to um, Jews in Pesh in Hungary in the late 1830s and early 1840s. And it's, it's wonderful. The, 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 work, the, the work that the Lord did in the Sapphire family. How he saved the, the little ten-year-old Adolf first and then his brother and father and sisters and mother. A family conversion. And it was not just a routine. Oh, because he's doing it, we shall do it. This was a deep work of grace. And according to Adolf Sapphire, in the 19th century, over 300,000 Jewish people came to Christ. Now that's three, followed by five zeros. Think about it, 300,000 in the 19th century. What a wonderful work of grace in the life of individuals, families, and sometimes in communities. Some wonderful records of things that happened in communities in South Russia during that time. <clears throat> so, with all these foundations set before us, let us look at the divine predicted history of Israel. Now, this is where we're going back to Deuteronomy, sorry, Leviticus 26, the passage that we read earlier. Now, I mentioned about definite beginnings and a duration and a definite ending. Now some of you might have thought this afternoon, why didn't he not use Matthew chapter 24? Now, Matthew 24 is a wonderful chapter. And whereas it has a lovely duration and a definite ending, it doesn't have a definite beginning. So that's why I left that out. However, I'm going to remedy that this evening to show that there is a definite beginning. Maybe not as clear as the ones that we saw in Matthew 13 and in uh, Daniel 2 and what we're about to look at now. Right, 
So, first of all, as, as our brother read that, you will see that there was a great imbalance here in the passage. Verses 3 to 13 predict the promised blessings that were held out to Israel, but it was conditional upon obedience. Now, what I'm saying to you this afternoon is that Leviticus 26 and the other passage in Deuteronomy are God predicting the history of what will happen to a nation that had at that time not yet happened. They hadn't crossed the Jordan. They hadn't entered into the land. They hadn't formulated themselves yet. But the Lord says this is what would happen. So um, let's just look briefly at these things. Um, we see that then in the first 13 verses there will be blessings upon the fruit of their labours. Blessings upon um, from nature on their enemies. Blessings upon their social unions. Blessings of the divine presence. Now, would that not be great if we had even one community like this anywhere in the world? I don't think we do. I don't think we have even one church that has this also. We are living in such dark, dismal, apostate, wicked times. These promises were held out to Israel that they can be yours. And would you not wish this? Fruit for the labour of your hands. Protection from enemies. Glorious social unions. And best of all, God in the midst. Blessing, care for him, protecting and giving them blessings. Well, You'll notice that in our passage in verse um, 16, that the Lord tells us something there. And if ye shall despise my statutes, or if you abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and so on. There are appointments. And from verse, uh, from, uh, from uh, verse 14, now to verse 41, there are divine appointments. And you know, this is the durational time. From the, when they go into the land, they neglected these blessings because they neglected what God said, they neglected what Moses had given to them from the face of the Lord. They neglected all these things. They cast aside these wonderful blessings which any of us would love to have lived in a community like that. Not even the, um, the Puritan community of uh, Plymouth Bay in, in 1620 when the when the when the um, Pilgrim Fathers went there, they did not experience that. 
experienced a lot of hardship. Lost half of their people within the first three or four months. Mind you, landing in November wasn't a good idea in the northern states of America. <clears throat> but from verses 14 through 41, we see these divine appointments. Appointments upon their person, upon their fields, upon their enemies, upon their divine withdrawal. Verses 17 through 21, they speak about a divine withdrawal. I will set my face against you. I will punish you seven times more. This here is a history of Israel from the time that they entered into the land until the time that they were taken out of the land. That's exactly what happened. These divine appointments in all their ways came upon them. What other nation has had their history mentioned before that? But let's move on. We see now here Israel at the end of the age. If we turn to verses 42 through verse 46, here we have a definite end. So we saw a definite beginning, entering into the land, a definite end, what we're about to see just now, and the durational part in between. I think if we understand the scriptures in this way, it marvelously harmonizes with so many other parts of scripture. It really does. Verse um, 9 of Chapter 26 tells us for, I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. Well, it was a conditional covenant and Israel as a nation rejected that covenant. However, our God is a covenant keeping God. And you will notice in verse 42, it says, Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham, him uh, will I remember, and I will remember the land. So notice, the people and the land are to be remembered. <clears throat> and if you know your Bible history, you will know that these covenants were unconditional covenants. Unconditional. So it was regardless of how Israel reacted, these would still be fulfilled because it's a divine promise to the patriarchs. And that is notwithstanding the breaking of the conditional covenant that we've just seen in the previous verses by these divine appointments when they turned away from the Lord. So it tells us there in verse 42, the covenant will be re-established. And this covenant will be with persons. And it will be with the land. Sin will be punished, verse 43. But, but not cast away as a nation. 
nor abhorred anymore, nor utterly destroyed. God will be their God. Look at verse 44. And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. Neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. What I will be for their sakes, remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen, and I, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes, judgments, and laws which the Lord hath made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. There is the divine signature upon this of promise. Now, you see the very important thing of holding to a definite beginning and a definite ending and a duration in between. Because some of our brothers um, would, would take these last few verses of the chapter and say, well, you know, that really belongs to the church. Or, or, or that belongs to another group. It doesn't belong to Israel. It's not a promise for Israel. Give them, yes, the curses, but don't give them the blessings. Don't give them any hope for the future. Whereas Paul told us already, has God cast away his people? God forbid. There is a glorious future for Israel ahead when God will re-establish the covenant and he will re-establish the people and the land and the people within the land. That will all come to pass. But you can see some people, if you tear away that and put it to mean something else, then you're doing the service to God, the Holy Spirit, who gave us these scriptures. Now, briefly, I just want to do the same again um, with uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 um, through 31. Um, these chapters, as I mentioned earlier, form a single unit. We see exactly what we saw already in the other passage. We see an imbalance. We see a few verses, verses 3 through 14 of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, and we see again similar blessings, but some of them are enhanced, and some of them give other details. Let me just pick out one or two things. In verse 1 it says, The Lord will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. There's a promise, a divine promise, not a human promise. In verse 13, and the Lord shall make to make thee the head and not the tail. Isn't that good? We'd rather be a head than a tail. If we were given the choice of being an animal, I would rather be the head than the tail of an animal. Um, um, this is what you will be promised. All these blessings shall come on thee, verse 2, and overtake you. And in verse again, 13, and thou shalt be above only and not beneath. Another way of saying the same thing. It's a Hebraism. And then we find the blessings. Very similar to what we saw before. But more maybe blessings upon their labours, their flocks, the fruit of the womb, 
relationship with God, relationship with nature, and so on. These passages in Leviticus and Deuteronomy taken together give us a supreme wholeness of the blessings which were promised to them. But notice, again, a similarity that we have seen already, the duration, the history of Israel written before time. You know, now we've got no problem. We've got no problem going back to Deuteronomy 20, uh, uh, Leviticus 26 and saying, well, that's history. Yes, it is. It is history. But that was written beforehand. So it was predicted history. So that which is predicted becomes actual history in time. The watchword this time is not appointed, but overtake thee. Verse 15 of your passage, you will notice that. These things, if you are not faithful to me, will overtake you. We don't like things overtaking us. We had that little senior moment before the beginning of the service when I lost my phone. Um, we don't like these things overtaking us. It throws us off our balance. We, 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 we wonder if what's happening and we, we, we come up with the wrong conclusions and the, the wrong thoughts and the wrong plans. Um, all these things will overtake you, the Lord says. If you're not obedient, they will overtake you in the cities, in the fields, in your food, in your stores, in your livestock. All your efforts, even the population growth, all these things will happen upon them. And these are general things. However, I want to take you to a particular thing. Again, you find it in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. Um, I believe also we have a prediction here in verses 49 through 61. A definite prediction here. Let me just read a few verses. The Lord shall bring a nation against me from afar and from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue <coughs> shall not understand. Was the eagle the standard of the Romans? And as you read further down, and a nation of fierce countenance shall not regard the person of the old and show favour to the young. He's not speaking about the captivity there of Israel in Babylon. Because that's mentioned earlier in the passage. You'll have to find it yourself on another occasion because I've not put the verses in. But they're there, believe me or not, um, that they are in a captivity. But I believe that verses 49 through 61 speak of a worldwide captivity. You see that in verse, um, sorry, verse 63, is it? Let me see, I'm losing my place somewhat here. Um, 63, let's look at verse 63. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good, and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you, to bring you not. Mm. 
And so with that, mentioning the, the fathers, the parents, the children, it's national, not individual here. So that's why it's important to see these formulas that the Holy Spirit has given to us in the scriptures. They will avoid, uh, obey him as a nation. They will obey him from, more importantly, their hearts. And they will obey him with their soul. It won't just be blind obedience. I must do this. Who was it said it? Was it Daniel Webster? It is better to serve through love than through fear. And that's what they will do. They will be serving through love. It will be a heart conversion. But a heart conversion, a conversion amongst a nation. Wonderful glorious. Israel will have their worldwide captivity turned back um, by the Lord. Because verse 8 tells us of God's compassion. And it tells us in verse 4 that God will do the gathering. The Lord will do this. He will bring them back. Israel will be brought back to the land. Verse 5. And it's not just any land. But it's the same land. Which your fathers possessed. And you will live in that land. And possess that land. And of course. Um, we see something of that just now, but they're back to their land in unbelief. And that is not the fulfillment of this. This will be a fulfillment in the beginning of beginnings of the millennium. When our Lord comes back in power and with great glory, Israel will be blessed because according to verses 5 and 9, God will do them good. And he will multiply them as never before. God will circumcise their hearts, verse 6, and the heart of their seed. In response to the divine blessings, they will love the Lord their God. They will love with all their soul. They will do this with all of their being. They will be faithful from the heart. Serving through love. Right, I think we'll close that section there and just look now at the future millennium. And let me just give you a number of suggestions tonight with associated scripture references. Right, we've seen Israel in this age nationally. And individually. We've seen Israel at the end of this age when after years of unbelief back in their land the Lord will reach out to them from all nations of the earth and bring them back. And in his second advent when the Lord comes they who are left after the work of Antichrist, because we haven't even spoken about him today, we're speaking about the glorious things that the Lord will do for Israel, that they shall look upon him. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. Now, some people say to us, well, that's a bit far-fetched. But, you know, is it? Which one of us 
didn't look to the Saviour when he appeared to our hearts. Which one of us? We looked upon him and we have pierced and we mourn for our sin. All this, when the nation looks upon him, all this is one being multiplied by a large number at one time. They will look upon him. Whom? Well, the deliverer who will come to Zion. How many people miss that? I've even spoken to people who can't even think in Romans who that deliverer is. I've pressed them on it. We're not sure. I said, well, look, go back to the Old Testament to see where this came from. And there you get the answer. It's the Lord. He will come back. Yeah. Because it doesn't fit into a certain system of thought, a certain interpretational system of prophecy. They say, well, we've got to understand it this way or that way. But not the way that it's clearly laid down in Scripture. As we've seen today from those two passages, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Well, in the millennium there will be a restored land. There will be a geophysical change. Jerusalem will be raised up vertically. Isaiah 2, verse 2. I just mentioned these because there's so many to mention. There will be that increasing ascent to Jerusalem. A plain will be produced on front of this wonderful elevation. <coughs> when the Lord comes back, I've even had people agree with me that in Zechariah 14, when the Lord comes back again, he will come back to all of, uh, the Mount of Olives. I think people agree with me. However, this splitting of the mountain, <laughs> then they have to depart from me and my saying, no, the, the, the mountain will be split apart. A river will be produced from the temple, which will um, go to the, 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 the former sea and the, uh, the latter sea, or the dead sea. And it will be a, a wonderful, prosperous time. I remember listening to a message by Mr. McMillan, the chairman. And he paints a wonderful picture of this. The waters of the Dead Sea will be healed. There will be fishermen, ships. And there will be the plying of this trade throughout that area. A wonderful, glorious change. The land will be delivered from bondage, Romans 8. Verses 19 through 23. Physical changes within the land. Adam was told the ground will produce thorns and thistles. It will be a, an enemy to you your whole life. But there is a time coming where that's going to be released from that bondage and there will be great blessing. And I believe that won't just be for the nation of Israel. I think that will be a worldwide aspect that others will share in and experience these wonderful glories also. Geophysical changes. 
changes in nature. Israel as a country will blossom and be extremely fruitful. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. In the animal kingdom, there will be a change. And no more. Nature red in tooth and claw. Isaiah 11, verse 8. There will be a longevity to life that has never been experienced this side of the flood. The antediluvians, they, they lived for such long times. Although, those of you that know um, Matthew Henry's comment on that, and it's quite quaint, but I like it. He says, oh, these poor people, such a long time for a soul to be trapped with inside a body. Well, there are aspects in which that is true. Um, but there will be a longevity of blessedness. Not drudgery, but joy and happiness. There will be a restored place of worship. That is our thoughts for tonight. These are our thoughts for tonight. Um, a temple will be rebuilt. Glory will be returned to the temple. There will be memorial feasts, commemorative offerings, and the Lord will be ruling and reigning in righteousness. Enemies will be early dealt with. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. The Lord, it tells us in the Psalms, the prophets, will rule with a rod of iron. Yes, he will. He came the first time in grace. He will come the second time in judgment. But also mercy to Israel. Israel will be brought back to the land in, in, the, in those four stages that I mentioned them earlier. Um, um, Israel will be a nation of priests and worldwide evangelism on a scale never seen before. Jerusalem will be the centre of the earth. Not just physically, which partly it is now, but it will be the centre of the earth spiritually, politically. All rule and reign will come from there. And the Lord will do this in a loving, caring way. Where there is descent, it will be dealt with. Where there is need of nurture, it will be nurtured. And blessings will go out. It will be a time of great peace. Revelation 20 tells us, for the first time ever, Satan will be bound completely. So his terrible, evil, wicked deceptions, which are, we can see our televisions even this day, being perpetrated, will no longer be there. It will be a time of peace. It will be a time when all those people who have said over all the ages, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Show me a place today. Show me just one place on earth where there is peace. And I will show you a place where there is dissension, where there is rejection, where there is unhappiness, where there is drudgery, where there is toil, where there is parent against child, child against parent, government against community, and community against government. 
There's a lot of things we can mention at the end of the millennium, but we'll not today because we're thinking glorious thoughts of things which are yet to be. Let me just conclude by tying all these ends together. We find that our Lord has a mixed interim <coughs> future for Israel due to their sinful rejection of him. We saw that in those two passages in the Pentateuch. This is the state of Israel for this present time. They are in sinful rejection of the Lord. There is, however, the gracious outreaching of our Lord using human instruments to save his people. However, our Lord's ultimate plan is to bring Israel to mourn for their sins and to gloriously save a remnant. At the end of the age, when the Lord comes back, then it will be said, all Israel will be saved. Then a wonderful millennium of blessings for all those that are left in the world at our Lord's <coughs> second coming. Blessings to Israel, blessings to the world, blessings to the creation. And we can only say, glory be to our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Mm.